I really believe God is going to bring a lot of freedom through this series, that there will be a lot of changes that, that I think a lot of us will, will be uh, really uh, challenged to make in our life. Um, I, I had a couple of titles for this series. One of them was God over Mammon, which is the word that God used in Matthew chapter 6 when he said he cannot serve two masters. It's either you will hate one and be devoted to the, to, to the other, and you cannot serve both God and money or mammon. Uh, but I think a, an appropriate a title is God over everything. I, I, I've been speaking about the idea that this equation is what really makes us thrive in life. When we put God in his rightful place in our life, we see the fruits of him working in the heart of a believer. So, so I've, I've, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been enjoying this series myself. Because you have to understand, when I'm preparing, I'm learning myself. When I'm preparing, I'm studying the scriptures, I spend a lot of hours, I come here ready and hungry, and sometimes in my preparation, God is speaking to me. Sometimes as I'm preaching, God is showing me something new. So I'm enjoying what God has been teaching us in this series. Last week, just a quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time at all, but a quick, uh, just a recap of last week. We saw about the church of Laodicea. I, I, I don't know if you studied that particular passage, the letters to the churches. I encourage you, my friends, read Revelations chapters 1 all the way to chapter 3. Read the whole book, but especially those, because they're specific letters to these seven churches, and, and the entire church of God around the world is reflected in those seven churches but we looked and focused at the church of Laodicea the church of Laodicea we, we looked at the history the background uh, the geography of the place how it was a very wealthy city a, a city that had everything material wise they had a thriving medical school they had um, a thriving business uh, in wool industry and they also had uh, the third thing that they had was they had a medical school in their city. So they had all these things, and they were very wealthy. So the church said, we don't need anything because we have everything that we need. And it's kind of like the, West, the Western culture philosophy that governs our world today. That because we have every material thing that we need, it's as if we think we are people without any needs, that we don't need anything, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do, we don't want any scripture being uh, d directing our lives, and it's similar to what the church of Laodicea felt and did, and it's amazing what Jesus said. He said, you think you don't need anything because you have all these things, but he said, let me show you your true spiritual condition. You are poor, you are wretched, you are naked, and you are blind. I mean, he addressed every industry that is thriving in that city. You can listen to the podcast for further uh, detail on that. And Jesus counseled them to come to him and get true wealth. Do you know what the scariest part about the church of Laodicea? That Jesus was outside of the church knocking. For me, that is the scariest thing. To think they thought that Jesus was inside, but he's saying, I'm not even in the church. I'm knocking outside of the church. And I wonder the church today and, and what we deem the church to be if Jesus is in it at all. Because in Laodicea, he wasn't. And he's saying the invitation was, I'm outside the door, but if anyone opens it, I'm willing to come 
and dine and eat because that's the heart of God is to have a relationship and a fellowship with us. Do you know what else is frightening that I learned there? That deception or a lie can become some, someone's truth or reality that governs them. That's what scares me. It's that these people actually thought that the deception was true. But we learned quickly that, that God, when we make possessions and material things our God, we neglect God to be supreme in our lives. So you can listen to that message. But today I want to go to a certain parable that Jesus shared. Continuing part three, God over everything. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. Matthew chapter 13, write these verses down. I encourage you to be students of the scripture. Uh, don't be just Sunday hearers, be students. Whatever I teach you, go home and study it. Go home and investigate it. Go home and see, is your, your teaching me the true, the true things? Uh, I encourage you to do that, especially in these days that we're living in. But Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Can you all say with me treasure? Hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything that he had, and he bought it. Jesus, in the, in the, in the book of Matthew chapter 13, when you begin to read it from the beginning, Jesus is teaching the crowds that are gathered to hear him about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Young adults, I came to announce today that we're part of a kingdom. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not just followers of Jesus, but we're part of a kingdom. We're part of a movement. We're part of, a, uh, of this kingdom that is not of this earth, but is of above. This kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke about in his ministry is not about a geographic location, but he talked about a kingdom that is a spiritual one and that is, is governed in the spiritual realm where God rules. This kingdom that Jesus spoke about, we join when we put our faith and trust in him. Jesus uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, 32 times in the book of Matthew. But that is the only place that we find the kingdom of heaven term used in the book of Matthew. We see another term, the kingdom of God, used 68 times in 10 different New Testament books. But what it means, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is exactly the same thing. They're used interchangeably to, 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 to tell us the same thing. So don't get confused there when you read the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Church, we are part of a kingdom and this kingdom has two aspects to it. The first is the spiritual aspect of this kingdom that Jesus taught beginning from verse number one. He taught them how this kingdom of God operates. The first part of this is the spiritual aspect of it, that this kingdom is not a kingdom that we can see with our physical eye. It has come in Christ. He said the kingdom of God is among you or in the midst of you because Jesus was there and the kingdom was representative of himself. 
The other part of the kingdom of God was the kingdom of God that will physically manifest when Jesus returns. That is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is, is implemented into the new world that Jesus is coming to give us at his return. But the reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about here is a spiritual kingdom that every single person enters into when they put their faith and trust in Christ. And in this spiritual kingdom, Jesus is king. And he rules and reigns in his kingdom. Every kingdom we know has a territory that it rules or governs over. In this spiritual kingdom, Christ rules over every heart that submits to him. It's not about a certain area that he governs in the world. It's not about Jerusalem being the kingdom of God. It is the heart. It is the human heart that becomes the kingdom of God when we allow him, when we submit to him and allow him to rule in our life. Every kingdom has laws and rules for its people to be governed by. In this spiritual kingdom, you need to understand that the ways of God, the ways of Jesus are different from the ways of the world. You need to know the principles that govern the kingdom of God are different from the principles that govern the kingdom of this world. I want you to also know as there is a kingdom of God, there is a kingdom of Satan. Scripture tells us clearly that when we come to Christ, there is a transfer of kingdoms. We come from the kingdom of darkness and we are translated into the kingdom of light. It is a marvelous thing. We go from a system that we lived by to another system. We go from principles that we live by to another principle. We go to a way of life that governed us to another way of life. There is a distinct difference between the kingdoms. It's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. By the way, darkness is simply the absence of light. If I put darkness and light in competition in this room, guess who always will win? Light. When you put them face to face, the winner is clear. But darkness exists when there is no light. So Jesus came to teach people, I came to bring this kingdom of God. And you see, to us, it's a foreign concept because we don't live in a monarch system. But to them, it's a something that they fully understood. We have to understand a little bit about the, the history of the Israelites because they were waiting for this kingdom of God to come and manifest. But the way they understood it was they were waiting for a Messiah to be the leader of this kingdom and he would come and physically reign and deliver them from their oppressors and any other kingdoms that they're under. And the Roman kingdom was the kingdom that they were under at that particular time. So they were awaiting this strong warrior, this fighting king that would come to deliver his people. But Jesus revolutionized their thinking and he showed them it is a spiritual kingdom that has come. It is among you, but you don't recognize it because you don't, the kingdom has come in a way that you didn't expect it. So Jesus is teaching the people what the kingdom of God is like. And, and the reason why I chose this specific part of the passage is because I want us to know what this kingdom is like. There's, there's something that I want us to get from this particular thing. When I read to you the parable that we read at the beginning, we see something very fascinating. 
When we come to verse 44 to 46, Jesus shares a parable to demonstrate, among other parables, what God's kingdom is like. The first parable that he shared in verse 44, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. You know, one thing that we don't see clearly implied by Jesus is that the, the, the status of this man But from the preceding verses, we know that this man is most likely a farmer. Because he's in a field and he's digging up, not for randomness. Random people don't do that. People that are working in the field to dig it up are farmers. And we know that this farmer is not a wealthy man because he doesn't own the land in which he works. If farmers cannot have or own the land of that particular time, they're hired men. So wealthy people will, will, will buy certain land and they would hire in a cheap, uh, for, in a cheap, uh, for a cheap rate, they would hire certain farmers to do the hard part and to prepare the land into which they want to sow whatever crops that they want to have. So we see a fascinating thing in this particular story. This man is going about his ordinary day. This man didn't wake up that day and say, today I'm going to have something amazing. I'm going to discover something glorious. No, (laughs) he just went out. He said, another working day. He went out doing his job like he did last week and the day before. And he didn't have any expectations. He didn't have any enthusiasm. He's just doing his job. The man went from doing his ordinary job to wanting to sell everything that he has. When I read that, I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, before something must have happened that leads this man from living an ordinary life, doing ordinary work, to saying, I want to sell everything that I own in my house, and I'm going to convince, if he had a wife, he has to convince his wife. If he has children, he has to convince his children. Everything that they hold that's of value, he's saying, let's sell it because I, I have found something. What was the difference from not thinking about selling his stuff at all in a moment from saying, I want to sell everything that I have? What happened that this man all of a sudden said, I want to sell everything that I have. Church, we can see in this parable, it was the treasure that he found. The treasure made made the difference. His eyes saw something that immediately made him know that losing everything he has is worth that one treasure. You know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a visual person. I like to imagine things and and I can just, I'm just trying to think. I know it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus is using to illustrate a point. But I just tried to get myself in the story. What did this young man, what did this old man, wh- whatever age he is, find? That was so valuable that he said everything else in my life is me, is worth me selling it. I want you to not forget that he also found it accidentally. The second part of this parable that we see is the merchant merchant is just another word for a businessman now this businessman is different from the farmer this businessman has actually made a living from his for himself of buying pearls so he walks around and he has uh, you know valuable pearls that he tries to find but he's seeking and he's searching for something that is of greater value than anything else that he has in his life 
As a businessman, he had many pearls, but he was looking for that one that had great value. Again, the reason that he makes such a dramatic and drastic change of selling everything in his business and everything he owns to get that one pearl is the treasure that that man saw and found. The emphasis of these two parables are these. Number one, the value of the kingdom of God. And number two, the cost of following Jesus. We learn the value or the treasure of Christ. These two people's eyes were open to make them decide to give up everything else for the value of who Jesus was. The treasure, friends, is Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. Listen to what Peter said. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Do you know what Peter is saying? He's not saying that silver and gold is not valuable. That's not the emphasis. He's saying they are valuable commodities in our world, but they are perishable. The key point. Don't miss the key point. He's saying it is not with perishable things that the best thing this world can give you, silver and gold, that you were, what? Redeemed, that is bought back. Check this out. A lot of us fail to recognize this or forget this. That we were redeemed from what? Can you read that? Come on, church, talk to me. What does it say? Do you remember that Jesus delivered us from the empty way of life? Paul said it in another place. We were before Christ. We were without hope, without God, doing empty things to gain empty things, to go on another empty day, empty in heart, void of everything meaningless in life. I don't know about your story, my friend. That is exactly my story. Emptiness from one activity to another activity, from one person to another person, from one event to another event. Empty way of living. And this empty way of living was handed down to us by our ancestors. It's, 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 it's a way of life that is void of Christ. He said, don't you remember you were not redeemed? From that kind of life, next verse, by silver or gold, perishable things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's remember the value of the treasure of Christ. What bought us back and redeemed us from that empty way of life was not a money payment. It was not a check that was given to Nati's life for Nati's life. It was not a, a, an activity that we had to do. It was not a work that we had to accomplish. It was by the precious, precious. It, this, it, you cannot find it in this world. It is a precious blood of Jesus that we were redeemed. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. 
My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Namely, Christ. He gives the answer there. Christ is this mystery of God. And check this out. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, this treasure of the kingdom of God is Christ. This valuable commodity that cannot be purchased, that cannot be bought, Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that their eyes may be open to know this treasure, to know this Christ. Philippians, Paul himself explains how he found this treasure of Christ. His value system changed. When you know and study the story of Saul, who later became Paul, it's just a mind-boggling story. He's a man who lived for certain things. He was prideful. He's a Pharisee. He was wealthy. Pharisees are very wealthy. He was wealthy. He had everything that he needed. He was educated in the scriptures, in the Torah, in the law. He knew everything about God. He even thought he was doing the work of God. And all of a sudden, he has this encounter on the road to Damascus. Accidental encounter. He didn't go out that day saying, I'm going to discover Jesus. No, accidentally, like the first farmer, accidentally this treasure was revealed. Listen to what he said. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. But whatever, anything, because when you read above, he says, if I want to boast, I can boast of all these things that I used to take pride in. I was a Pharisee, born on the eighth day. I was this, Hebrew of Hebrews. I took pride in these things. They were valuable to me. They were my gods before. <laughs> but whatever were gains to me then, I now consider them what? Loss for the sake of Christ. My value system has changed. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. When I encountered this treasure that is named Christ, this mystery of God, when he encountered me, I was, my eyes were open, my value system changed. What I used to deem as important is no longer important. What I used to hold on as my, as my, as my boasting, I no longer boast. And Paul said at many places, no one can boast. Because this treasure, you don't work for it. This treasure, you don't earn it. This treasure, you simply receive it. What I valued before is no longer important. Knowing Jesus was the greatest treasure for him. Paul lost all things so that he may gain Christ. You know, church, today my prayer is that our eyes are open and that we may see what the two men saw in the parable. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we may see the treasures that are in Christ, the treasure himself being Christ, that we may see Christ and, and therefore when we see him, it will affect everything in our life. My prayer is that we may see the value of the treasure. My prayer is that Christ is revealed to us. 
You know, when, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, uh, he, he, he found these two disciples, former disciples of himself, and they're talking. They're saying, oh, did you know this man named Jesus? You know, he told us we thought he was a prophet. They walked with him, but he wasn't revealed to them. You know the frustration of Jesus in his ministry? He taught them and taught them and taught them. They saw miracles and miracles, but Christ was not revealed. I'm going to show you in a few moments how Christ is revealed in our life. But listen to this. Don't worry about going to the passage. He was on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears and he's walking with them. They're talking to Jesus. (laughs) They know Jesus, but they're blinded. They're walking with him, but they're blinded. And then this is what it says. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning from Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And then verse 31, it says this. If you want to write there for your reference, Luke 24. Verse 31, it says this. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And, the dis- and, and he disappeared from their sight. And then a few moments le- later, he appears to his disciples. <laughs> now, this is to the core that he did life with, to the inner circle. But they do not recognize him. And, and check this out. Verse 45, it says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and see him as well. So Jesus had to open their minds. He had to open their understanding. He had to be revealed to them so that they can recognize him. And then we know that Peter's eyes were also opened, not because of anything that he's done. But Jesus asked him a question, who do you say that I am? And, 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 and Jesus himself said, man did not, flesh did not reveal this to you. But his eyes were open. He said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And in, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul tells us that God reveals Christ to us by his spirit. He said, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He said, the rulers of this world, they didn't understand. They didn't know who Jesus was. If they understood, they would not crucify him. And he said, how is all this revealed? By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God revealing the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. A couple of things and I'm done. We must understand that it is this very thing that the enemy wants to conceal. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 4-6. The God of this age, Satan, his kingdom is this world. He's the God of this world because we made him. We made him the God of this world. So he governs this world. His kingdom is this world. So the God of this age, the God of this world, you have to understand, a king governs the system. How? The system works where he reigns. You have to understand that lying and all these things are his system. So for people to excel in this system, they must play by his rules. But what I came to announce and tell you is to show you, you don't have to play by his rules. You are part of another kingdom that dominates the kingdom of this world. But the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers Why did he blind them? To do what? For what purpose? 
so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world doesn't mind if you have made education your God. The God of this world doesn't mind if you made your money your God. The God of this world doesn't mind if your family is your God. The God of this world is fighting tirelessly to do this one thing, to blind people from seeing the treasure. (laughs) You can become the biggest merchant, businessman that has many pearls. He doesn't mind. You can become the king and the prince of a nation. He doesn't mind. What he does not want us to see is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen to what Paul continued to say. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The next verse is my favorite. Listen to what Paul said. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say that? When did God say that? In the beginning. She was nervous. She was like, I might, might be wrong. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, there was darkness and what happened? God spoke and he said, let there be. Paul is referring to Genesis chapter 1. He said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This is so powerful. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying in the beginning was darkness. The Bible says that the earth was void. It was empty. It was hollow. Nothing was there. In other words, that's your heart and my heart. (laughs) Our heart was dark, empty, void, nothing there, meaningless there. And then just like God spoke, let there be light. When Christ was revealed to us, light flooded our hearts. And all of a sudden, light light dominated, light now dominates our life. In the same way that there was emptiness in the beginning, your hearts were empty. But now, in Christ, the light of the gospel has been revealed. The greatest revelation is not the KFC secret, uh, secret recipe. You know, that's locked away in some vault billions of dollars to protect it because it's very expensive that's not the greatest revelation the greatest revelation is not the secret lotto winnings for the highest ever monetary winning in the world that's not the greatest secret the greatest the most precious treasure that satan does not want us to see is who jesus is and what he has done for you and for me You know, I told you Satan is the God of this world. I did, I did a quick research on Google. I tried to find reliable sites. <laughs> but this is what I found. Every single person, especially a lot of variables, but especially in the Western world, we are exposed between 500. So I've read reports that say beginning 500 up to 5,000 advertisements in a day. Between 500, because everything now has ads. <laughs> Between 500 to 5,000 advertisements, depending on many variables. How many times you spend on social media, how many times you go out, whether you're you know, driving or commuting. There's many f- factors that are there. But it's fascinating for me. And all of these advertisements that is bombarding us everywhere we go is to show us one thing. The preciousness of this world. 
how much we need to get the latest this and the latest that and the latest this so that we can make life about that and, it, and, and not even think in our day. See, our advertisements have, have filled our mind. The technology, media has filled our mind so that one thing, we do not see Christ. So that we do not see Christ. Mark chapter 10. Two more passages and I'm done. Mark chapter 10. There's three gospels share this same parable. In Mark chapter 10, a rich young man, not an older man, a rich young man comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he said to him, "Um, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, said, the commandments, love you all this said, do not murder, do not steal. And the rich young man with pride said, oh, I've done all that. I obey my parents and all that. He said, what else do I need to do? And um, this is what Jesus said. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. You know, Jesus knows the heart of every single person. He knows our lives. He knows our motive. But that doesn't change his love towards us. He knows exactly his heart but he loved him he had compassion on him he looked at him and he, and he knew the bondages that he's in but he loved him my prayer is that god moves us in compassion like he moved that like jesus moved while he worked on this earth and then he said this to him one thing you lack he said go and sell everything you have Go and do what the merchant and the, business, the, the businessman and what that farmer did. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure, treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So you want the answer? Here's the answer. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. This is why pastor says long face. This is what he means. The man's face fell. What happened? He went away sad. Why? Why did he go away sad? Because he had mammon as his God. In other words, he did not see the treasure that stood before him. The treasure stood before him. Don't be scared to look into my eyes. The treasure stood before him. But his eyes was another treasure. His mind was on the treasure that is back home. Do you know I was saying this in the youth earlier? Uh, it's not, it's, 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 I know it's not written in the text, but I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just imagining. Uh, this, when I read that straight away, the story of Abraham came to my mind. I don't know why but you can, I'll give it to you, do whatever you want with it. Abraham, yes, God. Take your one and only son in whom you love. Yes, God. Take him up a mountain. Yes, God. And then what? Sacrifice him there. But God, I've been waiting 20-something years for this. How could you? No, he did not say that. But God, he is the promised covenant child. Why, Why are you saying this? No, the Bible says this. Early the next morning, he got up, saddled the donkey, and they went up to do what God had said. 
He's picked up the knife and the son is saying, Dad, the wood is here. The, everything else is here. But where is the sacrifice? And as they're walking up the mountain, he says, my child, God will provide. I believe Abraham had a revelation of who God is. He, he understood the value of God. And he understood, we read in Hebrews, that Abraham perceived, even if I went through and killed my son, the faith that he had is that God will raise him to life because God is not a man that he is to lie. That's, he knew his God. And just when he was about to do it, what happened? We know the story. God stopped him. God was never after Isaac. God was after Abraham's heart. God was never after the sacrifice of Isaac. God was after the obedience of Abraham. And I wonder, I wonder if this young man said to Jesus, Jesus, I see who you are. I have an understanding and a revelation that you are the biggest treasure that is important in my life. I will go right now and sell everything that I have. I wonder if Jesus would have had stopped him. Because I don't really believe that money was what Jesus was after from him. He was after the heart of the young man. I'm preaching so good. This young man couldn't see the treasure of Christ because mammon blinded him. And so I finish off with this. Matthew 6, 31, 33. Scripture that I've shared before I go to it in the Amplified. Therefore, Jesus said, do not worry or be anxious, perpetually uneasy or distracted, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For who the pagan, those that don't know God, those that don't believe in Jesus, Gentiles, eagerly seek these things. I want you to get this message, young adults. He's saying, don't make that the God of your life. Don't make mammon the priority of your life. Don't make building houses the the pursuit of your life. That's not the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is not in what you have. Happiness is in who you have. Jesus is saying, don't seek those things to be the primary thing. Then he said this, don't worry, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I have been walking with the Lord for over 10 years. Not one day have I been in lack. Not one day have I been in need. Not one day have I seen the hand of the Lord come short. Even in times where I'm like, how is this going to happen? I see the hand of God come through for every need and every question that I had. Make God the God of your life and everything else will follow. I'll never forget, no one probably knows this here, but we went to camp, the first or second youth camp that we had. And, and we, we, we supported and sponsored so many people that we did not have the money in our account. And when the lady gave me the bill on the last day, she, said, she gave me the bill and then I went on the church account. I'm like, Pastor, we're like $3,000 short. And we are going to the office to pay. I'm seeing the account and, and I'm telling Pastor, and he looks at me, he laughs. Pastor, yo, yo, don't worry, man. I'm like, Pastor, I know I understand faith, but this is just ridiculous. Like, we're walking to the office. You will see, Pastor, yo, yo, trust God. I'm like, I swear to you. My faith was very shaken there. I'm like, Pastor, the, she's waiting for the payment. We, have, we don't have the money. Don't worry. So we go. I've got the checkbook. We're acting like we've got the money. I go, I've got the checkbook. We walk in, and I'm talking to the lady, the manager named Mark. He's inside the, one of the offices. 
and he's hearing us. And he came out and he said, hi, my name is Mark. He said, so tell me a little bit about yourself. So we're like, oh, we're from this church, this church. Are all these kids from your church? I'm like, no, they came from different places. Uh, I was telling him about, we sponsored some of them, this, this, that. Oh, yeah? He goes, he turns to the cashier, take 10% off their final amount. The 10%, it was 30,000 something. The 10% off was just above the 3,000 that we needed. (laughs) I just looked at it. I told you. (laughs) I'm like, what is this? I've never never seen such faith that I kid you not, he did not waver till the end. You don't plan that. You don't orchestrate that. We didn't beg for a discount. I'm thinking, how are we going to explain this? But God is faithful to those who trust him. But this is, listen to what Jesus said. But first, I love the Amplified. Because look, look how he explains it. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right, that your attitudes and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. This is what we have done. We have made the added things the main thing. And we've taken the main thing out, and we focus on the added things. My prayer for us today is this. Let's know the main treasure. When you know the main treasure, the added things will not be our main thing. Amen? Let us make let us not make the added things the main thing. The second part is when Christ is revealed, sacrificing, sacrificing for his kingdom becomes easy. That's my final point that I finish with. The two, merch, the merchantman and the, uh, and, and the farmer, they both did the same thing. When they found the treasure and understood the value, their eyes were open and they sold everything that they have. You know, when Christ is revealed to you, serving him doesn't become a battle. When Christ is revealed to you, dropping your things here, and when he says go to Africa, doesn't become a battle. I was reading this story of, of a girl, uh, of a, sorry, of a man who, who faithfully loved the Lord. He was a minister. Faithfully loved the Lord. Loved the Lord. And, um, and he was serving him for many years. And then he had cancer. He had cancer and he was, he was dying. And, and one, one person went up to him and said, and you call your God good? You've served him, been faithful all the days of your life? Look what he has done to you. <laughs> Do you know why he responded? He said, healing is an added thing. I've already been blessed by finding the main thing. <laughs> and he said, I know where I'm going. He said, healing is an extra bonus. My heart is already full by God giving me a treasure that I never deserved. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Sense the power of the Lord is in this room. My prayer is that Christ is revealed to you. 
I will continue to preach, preach Christ until your eyes see. I will continue to speak of Christ until you taste, you taste him like God wants you to taste. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus is not a knowledge thing. It's an experience thing. It's an encounter thing. It's a revelation thing. My prayer is that Christ is revealed to you. When he's revealed, you will do radical things. You will not live ordinary. You will not live from work to home and then work to home and then waking up and then complaining about the weather like everyone else and then doing the things that everyone else do. No, when Christ is revealed to you, you will live an extraordinary life. You will go from work to a mission field and you will go from the mission field to your workplace and you will know that everywhere that you are is an assignment of God. When you know that you've tasted and you know that that the Lord is good. When you've tasted, when you have an experience of Jesus, when he has opened your eyes and you know the value that he has given you, when you know, when you know what the worth of Christ, nothing compares. Sacrificing is the easiest thing. Serving him is the easiest thing. Living for him is, is, is the most joyous thing. One thing that I want you to know, young adults, is that when the farmer discovered the treasure. He didn't go and sell and sacrifice all those stuff, murmuring. He said, in joy, with joy, <laughs> joyfully, he went and sold everything that he has. He said, nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to knowing you. Nothing compares to knowing you. My prayer is this, church that we will all be full with Christ. I, I want you to just right now, as you close your eyes, I want you to imagine or picture the time when you overate. <laughs> just you're really hungry for food and you ate and ate and ate. I'm talking about the time where you had to uh, loosen the button of your pants or your whatever, or your shirt. Like just picture that moment for now. Like you ate until... You're just, you know, you can't eat anymore. Now, if I come to you at that very moment and I say to you, here, this delicious pasta or whatever your favorite food is, no matter how much it's attractive, you will not take it because you're already full. You are full. Nothing that comes before you will tempt you because you're already full. Even if you want to, you cannot. When Jesus has filled your life, when Jesus has filled our life, when Jesus has filled us, when we have understood this treasure, nothing impresses us anymore. The things of this world is not a big thing anymore. The things of this world are not our priority anymore. We live for the kingdom of God. We think about advancing the kingdom. We think about preaching the gospel. We begin to think what Jesus thinks. We begin to care about what Jesus cares. We begin to do about what Jesus did. We live and govern our life by the principles of the kingdom. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that brings freedom, for your word that is true, for your word that reveals you. As you open the minds of your disciples to know the scriptures, to understand the scriptures,
Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you that you may open up the eyes of the human heart. That you may open up, not the physical eyes, the problem of our generation. Many see, but do not see. Many have ears, but do not hear. Many have eyes, but do not see. But my prayer is that God is raising up a generation in revived church and all across this nation and in the nations of the world that have seen the glory of Jesus Christ, that have had a taste of Jesus and not just an understanding of head knowledge. My prayer is that we will take this message. If you find a treasure like this, there is no way that you'll keep it to yourself, but you will think about, God, how can I preach you in the context that I'm in? Lord, I pray that you help all of us to make you the God over everything, the treasure over every treasure, the most valuable thing over every commodity of this world, that you do not compare like Paul had an encounter with you and nothing else compared. And then you began to use him in your kingdom. Use every single person in your kingdom, God. Inspire people, Lord. Give them visions and ideas, Lord. Give them ways they can start teams and get together and not just talk about earthly things, Lord, but get together, Lord, and think about how they can take the gospel to their workplace, how they can make a a program and an event to, to make their friends hear you, Lord, to have fellowship with those who are broken, Lord. Give us inspiration. Give us wisdom, Lord, of how we can take the money that we're working for, the money that we have to help the disadvantaged, Lord, to help the poor, Lord. Make us a church that has known you Jesus that has dined with you that have ate with you Jesus we need you Lord to open our eyes I don't know about you but that's my prayer God I've seen your glory but there's more we go from glory to glory I pray that my eyes are open that my mind is open every day every day I try to pray that God open my ears open my mind that I may see, that I might understand you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this room, those that are watching, Lord. We put you in your rightful place, Lord. We make you the main person. We make you the Lord of our hearts. Reign in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week for Baptism Sunday.